You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. All right, so we have helicopters outside. We are going to dismiss in a very orderly fashion, and I'll jump out of a helicopter this morning. I'm glad you're here today, aren't you? The back row, if you could go ahead and start heading out. No, I'm just kidding. Welcome to Riverside. Good to see you guys today. Ready to get into God's Word? Are you ready to get into God's Word? I am. I'm excited. I'm ready. My name is David. Again, as Tyler mentioned, and it's my privilege to welcome you today on podcast. And also, again, if you're a guest this morning, Tyler and I and other leaders will be out in the lounge area after the service. We would love the opportunity to get to know you, maybe share a little bit of who you are with us. So uh, as you're thinking about what he said in those last couple of announcements, especially with the whole uh, issue of that insert that we're asking you to fill out to help us, we're going digital in so many different ways. In fact, in the month of September, our plan is to go to a fully digital bulletin, so you can use the app for that. And we're also working towards always having notes in there in the app as well. And we're going with a digital uh, C group catalog. All of our small groups are coming through digitally. So we'll have ways, if you're not a digital person, to be able to still feel like you know what's going on. But a lot of the printed stuff that we do, we're trying to move away from that as much as we can in this new era of uh, our world today. So that's some of the stuff that we're doing, but we want you to be able to stay connected. And that's really what we need to have uh, through numbers and, and email addresses and all that good stuff. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. It was one of the Letters that a guy by the name of Paul wrote to a church uh, in the first century. And if you need a Bible, there are some in the rows below you there. We always encourage you to bring your Bibles. That's always a great way. And digitally, you can follow along in the Riverside app with the notes there if you'd like to follow there. And there are paper notes in the bulletins as well for those of you who like the paper notes. So we are beginning this new series, which is actually the end of a theme for Riverside for the last year. Last September, we began the theme, Bold Faith, and each month we've been looking at various aspects of living in a relationship with God through Bold Faith, and in this particular series, we've called it Live Dangerously. It's the last one, and then we'll begin a new one right after Labor Day weekend. We're going to be in this one for the next four weeks, uh, and uh, then we'll start a brand new theme. I can't wait to tell you more about that in the next few weeks. Looking forward to what God has in store for us. But this particular series is all about the fact that bold faith takes risks in a play it safe world. And we're going to be talking about what bold faith looks like in relationships, in parenting, in financials, and careers, all of those different areas over these next several weeks. Looking forward to each one of those. But today, we want to begin with specifically relationships. And the text that we're going to be looking at focuses in on marriage. And the Apostle Paul writes to these group of believers in the city of Ephesus, and he's really trying to help them to understand how Christ relates to the church. And specifically, he's trying to use the metaphor of marriage in that. And we're going to pull a couple of thoughts out of there as it relates to marriage and and relationships in general. So whether you are single or you are dating or you are married, uh, we're glad that you're here. And we believe, I honestly believe that the text that we're going to look at today has implications for every stage of life and every arena of life. And some of the things that I'm going to share with you today are really what I share in premarital counseling sessions, uh, when I talk with couples, when I help them to understand what God's plan is for them. So I'm very excited to be able to share that with you. And the question that we're asking throughout this series, specifically this morning today, is what difference 
does living boldly for Christ make in my most important relationships? Again, whether that's a friendship, a, a co-worker relationship, whether that's a marriage relationship or a parenting relationship, what does bold faith in Christ look like in terms of how it informs how we relate to one another? Now, what you need to know as we get into this is I've been married for 23 years to Amy. I married way up, no doubt about it. Uh, we were, we had one premarital counseling session. A uh, guy wasn't, my, my father was doing our wedding, and it was a little awkward to have dad do the premarital counseling, so I didn't want to have dad do that. I was, you know, the whole sex talk, I'm not going to do that with my dad and with my future bride. So we didn't do that. We had another guy do it, and he sat down with us. He took us to breakfast at a public restaurant. We sat for about three hours. He asked us a few questions. He talked to us about a couple things, which I can't even remember what they were. He patted us on the back, and he sent us on our way. And we got married, and I was 22, and she was 19, and I couldn't even spell marriage, much less figure out how to be married. And it was almost a train wreck for us. Those first two years were hideous, uh, really. I had so many things that I had expectations and, and uh, were expecting of her, and she had you know, never been out of her own home, her parents' home. She left straight from them, and I'd been out for four years from my home. And so anyway, it was just a clash of the titans, so to speak, and it was an ugly mess for the first couple of years. In fact, I went to seminary to do marital and family therapy, and it was in seminary. I had to read from my major thesis work. The paper that I was working on that particular semester was all on divorce. So I had to read 30 books on divorce. That was our post-premarital counseling. And that's what saved our marriage, because I'd be like, oh, that's why we're, oh, okay, let's not do that. Let's check that one off. And so I'm very passionate about having healthy relationships, especially very passionate about having healthy marriages. I got to do one yesterday. If you've been online, you saw me post a couple of pictures of Matt and Mary. We said goodbye to Mary last week. She's been on our platform for years of playing keyboards, and they had a wonderful time together. And there couldn't be a more exciting topic for me to share with you today as we talk about living boldly for Jesus in our relationships. Ready to go? Awesome. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to read in honor of God's word. We sometimes stand together and read God's word. So you could just follow along and I'll read. I'm going to be reading in Ephesians chapter 5 and we're going to pick it up in verse 21. Out of respect for Christ or out of reverence for Christ, Paul writes, be courteously reverent to one another. Literally, submit to one another. Wives, Understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. That is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it, 
some of us more than others. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother, cherishes his wife. He's referring to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 there, recording the Old Testament. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery, Paul says. And I'm with Paul here. I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself in loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. Father, before we were born, you knew this day was coming. For some of us, there's going to be breakthroughs. There's going to be breakthroughs in our understanding of who you are, who we are, who you want us to be as friends, as coworkers, how you want us to be as parents and children, how you want us to interact and relate to one another as husband and wives. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes, that you would help us to be willing to hear the whispers of your spirit, that we might submit to what you have to say to us today, that we might be able to grow in our understanding of how to relate to others, and most importantly to you, Thank you for leaving these words for us, that we might glean wisdom from them, that we might glean insight. Lord, I pray that as we study your word together this morning, there might be some aha moments. There might be some healing moments, that there might be a fresh awareness of how we are to respond in our most important relationships, and that you would grant us the bold faith to take risks in a world that's playing it safe far too often as it relates to their marriages. Father, I pray that you would strengthen our relationships. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, that something would lodge in our hearts today that would bring change, transformation, that we would be healthier as a result of having been together under the anointing of your Holy Spirit and the power of your word. It's in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. So two things I want to draw out of this text. The first one, if you're going to take this whole living boldly with your spouse thing seriously, you're going to have to love boldly. Now, I love chocolate. I love biking. I love tennis. I love anything dealing with Star Wars. I love Amy. I love Joshua. I love Jenna. I love God. Are all of those loves the same thing? No, absolutely not. But we use them in our culture today interchangeably, right? But we mean different things. And what we're going to talk about today, I'm going to give you a definition of love that I think, for me, I heard it about 20 years ago from a man by the name of Dick Foth. He was the chaplain to the uh, Senate and to the House of Representatives. He was a chaplain to Congress. And I heard it about 20 years ago, and it had such an impact on me. I have been sharing it with couples and individuals 
for the entirety of my time here at Riverside because it had such an impact on me. We're not talking about romantic love here. We're not talking about eros. The Bible doesn't use that term, but that's a term that was there in the Greek days of the writing of the scriptures. We're not talking about lust here. We're talking about a bold love that is the kind of love that God has for us. We're not talking about primarily an emotion or infatuation. Love is all of those things, but not as it relates to what we're talking about today. Typically, love in our world is very selfish in nature. But God has called us to be selfless. And the key, in fact, I would say if I was going to boil down a healthy marriage into one word, I would say selflessness. But what I want to do is I want to challenge you to love boldly. I want to give you a a definition that will help you to understand what I mean when I say love boldly. Love is the accurate estimate and the adequate supply of another's need. Let me say it again. Love is the accurate estimate and the adequate supply of another's need. And what I can tell you is this. When you look at that definition, you don't see any romance. You don't see any emotion. But what you do see is the key to having a healthy relationship with everyone that you come in contact with. And primarily today, we're focused in on your marriage relationships. There are three pieces to this definition. First is the accurate estimate. You've got to know what the love language is of your spouse or of those who are closest to you, those who you are dating, even the people that you work around. Everyone has a love language. In fact, we've put them in there. How many of you have heard of the five love languages by Gary Chapman? Several of you? Okay, a bunch of you. If you don't know them, I listed them there in your notes. You can see them there. They are gifts quality time, physical touch, words of affirmation, and acts of service. And there's actually inside of our Facebook group, if you've not become a part of our Facebook group, I encourage you to do that. You can search in Facebook, and that's where we put a lot of the quotes and a lot of the resources, extra resources that go with our messages. There's actually a link in there where you can take an online assessment to know so that you know what your love language is as well as what the love language of the person that you're closest to. It might be your child. It might be a parent. It might be a friend. It might be your spouse. But you've got to know if you're going to help to feel loving towards someone or to be able to love them, you've got to know what language they speak. So for instance, for accurately estimating my wife's needs, I know she likes gifts. Now she doesn't need big expensive gifts, a a simple cup of coffee. When I go buy a Dunkin' Donuts or I go buy a a Starbucks, immediately in my head, I'm thinking accurate estimate. I, I I can go and I can get a cup of coffee and I can bless her in that way. For me, it's acts of service. So she knows if she wants to scream love to me, she's gonna do something in some little way that would serve me in in some capacity. So we all love to be loved in all of these arenas in various ways, but we usually have one or two primary ways and we spend so much time. In fact, I've actually had couples in my office who are on the brink of divorce and I'm listening to them and I'm listening to the tension and the fighting and all that they're talking about. And eventually I'll look at her and I'll say, do you love him? Yes, I still love him, but I, blah, 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 blah. do you love her? Yes, blah, blah, blah. what I find out is, is that they're not speaking the right love language to one another. In other words, if your spouse's love language is words of affirmation and all you do is buy them gifts and want to spend time with them and maybe do acts of service, you're not getting the most bang for your buck when you're relating to them because he's desperate for words of affirmation. And so you've got to be able to figure out what is my spouse's primary love language. 
one or two love languages and then work really hard to pursue that. The accurate estimate is where it begins. And then there's the adequate supply. So I can know all day long what my wife needs, but if I don't actually do something about that, she won't actually feel loved. And love is all about doing something for someone else. It's a decision that we make. When you think something good, don't allow it just to stay up in your head. Do it. When you think something nice, say it every single time. Do something. Say something. Adequately supply what they need to be able to hear. For some of us, we are to go all out. In fact, for all of us, we need to go all out, as Paul says. Go all out in your love for one another. We serve each other. We take that noun. Remember when we said, oh, I fell in love? You remember that? Remember the first time you fell in love? For some of you, that hasn't happened yet. Hang on. It'll happen someday, most likely. And you fall in love. Take that noun that you fell in love to and make it a verb. In fact, I've heard it said before, make love a verb. You'll get that later. Make love a verb. Take that, thing, that noun that you fell into and make it a verb. Do something. You have to do it. Now, here's what happens, and, and this is where as followers of Jesus, we're different than the outside world. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I'm glad that you're here today. You're gonna hear some things that will help you in your relationships, whether or not you decide to follow Jesus or not. But here's what I can promise you, that following Jesus will help you in your relationships. It'll make you better at relationships. But if you've not yet decided to do that yet, here's one of the things that's supposed to make a follower of Jesus different. In this world, we tend to feel our way into acting. But the Bible teaches us the exact opposite. We are to act our way into feeling. I'll give you an illustration of this. How many of you are runners? Let me see your hands. Any, any runners in the room? Okay. Any of you run early in the morning? Or maybe you go to the gym early in the morning. Okay. I've talked to several folks who do, they, they run or they go to the gym. They set the alarm. It goes off at five o'clock and they're less than happy about having to get up to go do that. But what they do is, is they've made a decision, they've, commit, they've committed to this, pre-decided, predetermined what they're going to do. And so when that alarm goes off, they get up and they put on their running shoes, they put on their workout clothes, and they get out there and they do it. And what happens is, is about a mile or two miles in, they start to feel the blessing of that. They start to feel the energy of that. They start to feel the hormone release, the chemical release, and they feel good about what they're doing. But if they base that whole decision on whether or not they felt like getting up, they'd never get out. That's why most of us don't do that. Because we think about that and we say, oh, no, I don't want to do that. And the Bible teaches us that we act our way into feelings. We don't feel our way into act acting. So it's like this. If you think of love primarily as an emotion, that's supposed to be the caboose of a train. The emotional aspect of love should be the caboose. The decision, willpower, making piece of love should be the engine. How many of you have ever ridden in a train before? Let me see your hands. Was the caboose in the front? 
You've never seen a train going down the tracks with the caboose in the front. So what God has taught us through his word is over and over and over again, we act our way into the feeling. So when you wake up, ladies, and you look over at him and there's drool down the side of his mouth and he's looking at the pillow and you're thinking, dear God, what have I married? Why am I in this relationship? You do something to make yourself feel loving. You accurately estimate and you adequately supply. I've heard it said, in fact, Andy Stanley is the guy I'm quoting here. He says, falling in love requires a pulse. It's attraction. All you need to fall in love is a pulse. Staying in love requires a plan. Falling in love, all you gotta do is be able to breathe and you can fall in love. But staying in love over the course of decades requires a plan. It takes action. So you accurately estimate, you adequately supply another's need. Not, in fact, it's interesting, not every want and every wish. We weren't designed. Only our Heavenly Father is designed to complete us. We are designed to help complement each other. A lot of couples, when I have them in premarital counseling and we're sitting there and we're talking and I'm asking them what they like about, oh, she completes me, he completes me. And immediately I'm like, only one is supposed to complete you, your heavenly father. So we have that little bit of conversation. We say, you know what? How about compliment each other? Because God is designed to complete you. You're not designed to meet everybody's, your, your, the people closest to you, every want and wish. Sometimes what somebody that you're married to or somebody that you're dating or somebody that you're in a relationship with at work, wherever it might be, sometimes what they need the most is a big old fat, nope, I'm not gonna do that. Nope, I'm not ha- that's not happening. In fact, could you say that with me? No. Let's practice it together. One, two, three. No. Sometimes what somebody needs is a no, and that is the loving thing to do. That is the risky thing to do. Sometimes that is the healthiest thing that you can do. So here's what I can promise you. I've been doing this for 20 years. Every morning before my feet hit the floor, I ask my heavenly father, Lord, today, would you help me to accurately estimate and adequately supply Amy's need? Lord, would you help me today to accurately estimate and adequately supply Jenna's need? God, would you help me to accurately estimate and adequately supply Joshua's need? And the feeling comes and I feel love, loving toward them, and they feel loved by me. But you gotta know what the person's love languages are. You gotta take time to accurately estimate and then adequately supply that. And again, we've redefined a need. Hold up your cell phones. Those of you who've got cell phones, we treat that as a need today. Technically, as much as it pains me to say it, that iPhone is not a need. I feel like it is, but it's technically not a need. We've redefined what needs are in our culture today. But the truth is, God's made us to help complement each other, to meet each other's needs. And sometimes those needs are a big old fat no. So you take this definition, the accurate estimate, the adequate supply of another's need, and you, you drop it right in on the most famous verse if you've been in church for very long. John chapter three and verse 16, you've heard it maybe a thousand times or more. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, You know the text I'm talking about. Take that definition and slap it right in there and see if it doesn't fit. For God so accurately estimated that David 
was a huge, big mess, that he was a sinner, that he was far from God, that he would never be righteous enough on his own. So he adequately supplied. He gave his one and only son. My greatest need, your greatest need. God loves us like this. He accurately has estimated exactly what your needs are. And he has adequately supplied it in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who came and lived a perfect, sinless, awesome life for you and for me to demonstrate his love toward us. That ought to put a smile on your face. Love is a command in the scriptures. Jesus said in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's a fruit of the spirit. It's a learned skill. The apostle Paul writes to the church in Galatians in chapter five, the fruit of the spirit is love. This kind of bold love that we're talking about. Wouldn't you, as you're seated there this morning, wouldn't you love to be loved this way? You have been. Jesus came to show you how much your heavenly Father loves you. Jesus came to scream, I love you. You see, Jesus could have stayed in heaven. He could have said, wow, the accurate estimate, hmm, they're all headed to hell in a handbasket and it's gonna be a mess. Hmm. Holy Spirit, somebody should go do something about that. He got up off that throne. He was born of a virgin and adequately supplied everything that we needed so that we could love one another like this. There's a second thing that verse 33 mentions that if we're gonna live boldly with our spouse, we've gotta get this right. Not just loving boldly, but also honor boldly. And honor starts with what we value. And again, if you've just been listening, how much value did God place on you? How much value did he place on me? And I would submit to you that it's an infinite amount of value. The value that he placed on us is revealed to us in his decision to send his one and only son to buy us back. So our lives cost Jesus his life, but he gave it willingly. And the apostle Paul, again, writing to another church in the New Testament days, the church of Philippi, says this to help us wrap our brain around this whole idea of value and honor. He says this, do nothing, do no thing, nothing out of selfish ambition. In other words, a competitive spirit. We're not to be in competition with one another or vain conceit, rather in humility, here it is, value others above yourselves. You defer to her. You defer to him. That's what it means when it says value there. There's a deference there. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Now here's the challenge that we face. Everything, everything devalues over the course of time. Let's be honest. How many of you 
if we were to just take a camera right out into the parking lot and opened up your car and looked around inside and put it up here on the screen, how many of you, be honest, now you're in church, would be embarrassed for us to see how your car looks inside? Let me see your hands. Come on now. David McCutcheon, your hand should be up. Yep. All right. (laughs) You would say... Most likely, you would say, I value my car. It gets me from point A to point B. But how many of you, when you first got your car, you vacuumed it, you took it to the, you got it detailed, you washed it, you regularly got it waxed, whatever, but then over the course of time, slowly devalued, right? You say you still value it, but over the course of time, things devalue. How many of you, again, be honest, you're sitting here with a cracked screen on your phone? Let me see your hands, okay? How many of you would like to have me crack your screen on your phone so you could get a new one? Anybody? We, we get a new phone, we put it in the case, it's an OtterBox, it's like Fort Knox, and then after six months or a year, we, yeah, maybe I could do a little bit less, and we take that off and put a little bit less on there, and then, oh, you know, I could just go without any case at all, and then the next thing you know, it cracks. Oh, well, we devalue things over the course of time. And that happens with everything that we own. That's why God says stuff isn't the major thing in life. But here's the tragedy that happens, and I've seen it time and time again, and I struggle with it in my own life and in my own marriage, that we devalue the people that we're closest to as well. Unless we intentionally keep the value high, we will devalue one another. And we'll find ourselves saying things to our spouse, to the people closest to us in this life. We'll find ourselves saying things to them that we never dreamed that we would say to them the first day we got married. We could never imagine that, but what has happened is, over the course of time, things have started to slide, and we are unaware of it. And we have to be intentional. Remember what I said, falling in love requires a what? Pulse. Staying in love requires a? plan. You've got to have a plan to keep the value of the people around you high. And I don't know any other way to do that than to intentionally place them as a priority in your life, to spend time with them. It means it's going to impact your calendar. It means it's going to impact the hours that you spend together. It means that you're going to have to book things in. You say, well, it should just happen spontaneously. It should just happen romantically. Good luck with that. It requires a plan. You got to book time off. You got to take time. In fact, this isn't the message about parenting, so I can tell this story. Years ago, uh, Jenna would always get very stressed when we would leave on dates. Uh, Just when we would leave, she was very attached to Amy. And we were really, you know know how when you're parents of young children, how you're just desperate to get away from them for a little while, just a few hours here or there. That's kind of where we were, yes. And so we'd gotten a babysitter and Jenna was just coming unglued and I couldn't get her to to let me, to take Amy. And so again, don't judge me about my parenting skills here, but I went over to her and I sat her down and she knows they've heard. I mean, I've walked through so many stressful marital situations, many divorce situations, and they hear about some of that in the home and know that people are hurting and things like that. And so she was even a young, little young girl at this time, but she knew she'd heard some of her, even her friends had experienced that with their parents. And so I went over and she's crying and I, I knelt down and I said, Jenna, daddy really needs to take mommy on a date. 
you don't want to get, you don't want us to get a divorce, do you? You want me and Molly to get a divorce. No, daddy, I don't want you to get a divorce. I said, okay, well then you need to let us go. Okay, daddy. So I'm not preaching the parenting message next weekend, so uh, that's, that's okay. So, uh, but you got to put it on the calendar. You got to make priority for your relationships. That's how you keep the value high. So what is it that you value most about your spouse, about the person that you're engaged to, the person you're dating, maybe even just somebody that you're friends with? Again, this applies across the board. Again, the scriptural context is marriage, but it applies in all of these relationships. What do you value most about the people around you? This speaks to their worth as a person. It's beyond thanks, okay? So this isn't, this isn't you know, hey, thanks for mowing the lawn. You're awesome. Hey, thank you for doing the dishes or for filling my gas tank up. That's gratitude and that's appreciation and that's thanks and that's important, but we're talking about value and worth of a person. This is about their character. This is about their worth as a human being. So when I talk to Amy about this, I would say, Amy, here's what I value about you. You are so compassionate. You are so kind and gentle and caring. I love the mercy that God has placed within you. I didn't get those mercy gifts and I have to work much harder at it. I'm so grateful for that. Amy, I love your prayer life. I love how deeply you talk to God on a regular basis. See, that speaks to her worth as a human being and her value. It's not just, hey, thanks for making a great pizza. It's beyond that. It's worth and value. If I were doing it with Tyler, Tyler, you're a great guy, a fantastic friend. You are so humble. You are the most, one of the most teachable people that I've ever met. Um, your love and your faithfulness and your, your uh, attention to Dana is incredible. I know that she knows that you love her because we talk about that kind of thing all the time, about how much and how great she feels about you. See, that speaks to Tyler's worth as a person, not, hey, do, you're doing great up here on stage. Thanks for doing what you did today. There's a big difference. You understand what I'm saying? Not if you do. If, even if you don't, just make me feel a little better. Okay, very good. Speaks to my worth. <laughs> so, Again, coming back to we honor. This is about honoring boldly. We honor what it is that we value. Honor means to highly esteem, to treat as precious and weighty and value. And the biblical concept of honor carries with it the idea of an heirloom, of, an, of a treasured family heirloom. So if you have one of those in your home, you know that that's been passed down perhaps from generation to generation to generation, and you put that in a safe place because you don't want to break it, and that's the idea of honoring. On the flip side, a lack of honor is to dishonor. It's to treat as common or as ordinary. And I want you to understand, because some people get this very confused. I want to put this up on the screen here. Respect and honor are not the same thing. Respect is earned but honor is given. Honor can be demonstrated even when respect is not warranted. In fact, the Bible is a book about honoring God and his instruction. The Ten Commandments, if you think about them, they teach us how to honor each other. The first four are a warning about dishonoring God, and the next six are a warning about dishonoring one another. And we need to demonstrate that law of honor in our lives because that's what makes our relationships flourish in every arena of our lives. And it'll elevate your life. It will elevate your marriage. It will elevate your friendships. 
It will elevate your children and your parents when we show honor. In fact, the scriptures teach us over and over and over again to honor our heavenly father, our parents, our spouse, our grandparents, the elderly, those in authority. We are to honor everyone that we can. In fact, Paul said it, Romans chapter 12, verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Let me give you an example of this. How many of you remember the show, The Flintstones? I'm going to date myself here just a little bit, but you watch The Flintstones, okay? Do you remember in every opening, closing scene, they would do the song? You know, you can play it back in your head. Do you remember what would happen, what Dino would do when Fred would get home every single episode? Fred would get out of the car, and Dino would come and just, bam, knock him down and lick him one side down on the other, and he'd, no, no, bam, and he'd knock him down. Dino was that excited to see his master. My dogs, Rusty and Lily, they get that excited today when I come home. They get that excited. There's always an, a lack of doubt. My cats don't know how to honor anyone. But dogs, <laughs> dogs know how to show honor where honor is due. Just offended half of you in the room that are dog people or cat people, right? Human example. What happened over the last eight years whenever Barack Obama walked past someone in the military? What'd they do? They saluted. What happens when Donald Trump walks by someone today in the military? They salute him. Are they saluting Barack Obama or Donald Trump? Are they saluting the office of the president it's the office. They may not like their president. They may not have voted for their president. They may not believe in what their president stands for. But out of honor, they salute. And the truth is, when you are married and you have a husband, and you have a wife, you have the office of husband. You have the office of wife. And you can show honor to your husband even when he's not always acting respectable. You can show honor to your wife, even when she's not always acting up to snuff. We can show honor and give honor where honor is due. And respect, that's a different story. You earn that by how you live, by what you do, by the value that you add. But you can still show honor. You can still be honoring. You can teach your children to honor. Students, you can honor your parents. You can honor each other. Parents can honor you. Even when you don't always everybody respect one another, there can still be honor showed. How, how practically do you show honor to the people closest to you? Well, I want to tell you a story. I want to wrap it up with this. Just a moment, we'll pray. But I didn't know what honor really was until I got older and got, in, got into marriage. And then I realized that every day of my life, I saw honor play out between my parents. Such a gift. Didn't have any idea. In fact, it was kind of like, really, seriously, every single time? So it never, didn't matter where my dad was. We lived in an old, you know, old-fashioned home where mom stayed home, and she was a um, stay-at-home mom, and dad went out, and he was a pastor. He would leave every morning. Always had his briefcase in the, in the uh, warmer months, he had a particular hat, and uh, different wintertime, he wore what we call the Russian hat. It's a big old thing. Anyway, I digress. Every day, 
when he would leave the house, no matter where my mom was, he would go and find her. She could still be sleeping. She could be in the bathroom. She could be in the laundry room. She could be in the backyard. She could be in the garage. It didn't matter. He would go to her. He would tell her that he loved her. He would hug her. He would kiss her. And then he would go on about his business and he would go on. I thought, wow, that's really faithful, committed. It's awesome. I didn't realize what I was seeing. When he would come home every single day, without fail. It didn't matter where my mother was. She could be napping on the couch, in the bathroom, in the laundry room, in the backyard, in the kitchen. She could be in the garage, wherever she was. When dad would come home and that garage door would come open, she would be there at the door. And when he opened that door, she was standing right there and they would have a moment. They would ooh and coo. And my sister and I were like, you know, and they would ooh and coo and kiss and have a few moments together, and then she would go on about her thing, and he would go on about his thing. And what I realized was that she never took for granted that he came home. See, when my kids were little and I would pull up, they'd do what Rusty and Lily would do. But I knew. I knew the teenage years were coming. They wouldn't run down the steps and be out in the driveway, yes, daddy's home! And now I have to go looking for them. But they never stopped honoring one another. He opened doors. She didn't require him to. He didn't demand that she came to the door to greet him when he got home. They just loved each other and they showed honor to one another. You can do that. I can do that. We can have healthy marriages, healthy relationships as a result. So how will you love and how will you honor boldly? It's gonna require bold risk-taking amounts of service and value to each other. But in the end, it's so much better to live that way. Jesus did, and he invites us to do it as well. So adults, how do you see these risky ways of loving and honoring? How'd you see those modeled as you were growing up? Couples, it's time to evaluate. How are you doing? on loving one another, serving one another, keeping the value high and honoring and esteeming one another. If you're single, do not settle for less. Don't settle for somebody who won't serve, who won't love. Don't settle for somebody who won't keep the value high and the honor high. Do not settle. You're worth it to wait. Parents, how do you want your kids to answer that question when they're sitting in my office and I'm doing their premarital and I'm asking them, so how'd you see mom and dad? How did you know that they honored one another? How'd they keep the value for each other high? What'd they do to love one another? What are their, what are their answers gonna be? What are your teenagers seeing in you? And students, how are you seeing this modeled by your parents? By the people that you're watching. Maybe, maybe your parents are already broken up and you're watching it from a different set of lenses. Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it's Donnie and Shelly. You know, we are so blessed to have the example in Donnie and Shelly that we have in our student ministry of a couple who does this stuff right. They're not perfect. None of us are. But they model it in front of the kids, in front of the students. So students, how are you seeing this modeled? 
How do you know that you're part of a family whose DNA is love and value and service and honor and trust and truth and integrity and acceptance and forgiveness and all the stuff that makes for incredible relationships? And all of us determined now to implement a bold love. Determined now to implement a bold honor in our relationships. Let's pray. If you are married and you're in this room or you're dating or you're engaged somewhere in between, I wanna invite you to take the hand of your spouse. I'm gonna pray for you. For those of us that need the wisdom to know how to proceed in friendships, I wanna pray for you today. You're in a workplace, tension in a relationship and you're not sure how it's to move forward, you're not sure how to apply, I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit to give you the wisdom to know how to accurately estimate and adequately supply the needs of those that you're working alongside. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's teachers headed back to school and the students that you're working with, they've never been loved like what we're talking about. They've never seen honor like what you could offer them this year. I pray that God will help you to follow through on what we've heard today. Jesus, thank you for relating to us in these ways. Perfect love, humble service. Today, Lord, we're most grateful for the infinite value and the undeserved honor you have shown us. You flawlessly modeled living dangerously and have sent your Holy Spirit to live within us to help us form relationships and marriages and families and ultimately a church that embraces and celebrates these virtues. Lord, would you help us to intentionally put them on on a daily basis to clothe ourselves with them so that when the trials come, so that when the difficulties come, we'll be prepared to weather the storms. Lord, I acknowledge this isn't easy and you know the myriad of times I have failed but I've tried to be truthful, faithful to your word today. Forgive us where there needs to be forgiveness. Help us to be humble in how we respond to your word today and what you've said to us. Open us up to, to healthy conversations, to meaningful dialogue where we can talk about these things in our relationships, where we can wrestle through them and we can find healing, where we can find hope Lord, where we're doing this on our own, would you come alongside us by the power of your Holy Spirit and give us the ability to go on another day, another week, another month, living boldly, taking risks to love and honor one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.